Hello and welcome to the AI Times Automation Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Shannon Myers. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, good to be here, Alex. I'm a business development specialist, and I'm excited to talk about how AI is impacting sales and business development. I love it. And we had a very interesting call before this when we were being introduced, and uh, you were talking about AI used in the sort of lead generation or customer search process. Can you talk about the work you do in that? Yeah. So everything from developing the sales funnel, outbound and inbound. Of course, AI can be used in, to implement landing pages, help build out those funnels, write the copy for that. I think that we've exacerbated a lot of the entry-level AI options to help with that. I'm sure things will get um, a lot better. Everyone's adapting really well. But yeah, so just making sure that everything is aligned. And really what I think the most valuable thing will be is using AI to create value with your clients. So every time you're talking to a sales trainer, they're expressing over and over again how you need to bring value to your clients. And obviously that's the intention of every salesperson, right? And hopefully, but that's hard to do when maintaining all of the different activities that are required in business development, outreach, engaging, creating those emails, everything from the top to the bottom. So you want to make sure that uh, you're able to generate as much valuable quickly. And that will come from AI processes, in my opinion. Yeah, I think any automation, especially that's doing auditing to help quicken or shorten the amount of time it takes for someone to audit and show, figure out how, what value they can bring you. That's been very helpful. So basically just connecting the tools that somebody already uses, like SpyFu, those types of things um, together with an AI chatbot processor to be able to quickly identify and explain the value like an assistant mode, if that makes sense. And then the tools, like I said, with helping with email, I don't think they're there yet with customizing the email. I think there's a long way to go in terms of actually being able to customize in an effective way. But where we've come from just in the past year has been amazing to be able to scrape a LinkedIn account, scrape a website, and to be able to come up with different ideas. I think it's really helpful to just get those ideas flowing especially in a virtual setting where a lot of people are working remotely in sales. That's one thing I will say I miss about in-person is that I could have a team that I would be able to bounce ideas off of. And virtually it works, but having that chatbot be able to, or assistant be able to help me generate those ideas, just it shortens that, that process. That makes sense. Thanks. Thanks for explaining that. And now a quick word from our sponsor, me. I want to tell you about all the different podcasts I'm doing because you might just be listening to one and I want you to know about all of them. So the Asafranis podcast network includes marketing times analytics, AI times automation, security times privacy. Uh, there's also a couple other bonuses like extraordinary people and the Lake County District 18 podcast, which is a political focused podcast about the Lake County area in Illinois. So there's a little something in there for everybody. I really hope that you enjoy the podcast. Go check out the other ones. I will leave the links to all the episodes, all the podcasts from the, the various podcast titles 
in the description of this episode so that you can check them out. I, I encourage you to do so. I hope you'll find it interesting and I hope that you have an excellent day ahead. Thank you. And now back to the episode. So I'm interested in how AI lead gen works in in today's day and age and specifically how the prompting works for that. Can you explain that? Yeah. So if you're going to use any AI to your right, generate email copy, if you're doing outbound anything, I would also say like advertising, which is obviously a big marker here and anything where the written copy is involved, you really want, you're not just asking AI, Hey, write this email. You really have to train the AI and make sure that it understands the problems, like the target customer that you're trying to obtain and like their problems and the symptoms of those problems. So you really have to take it through that process of this is who I am. This is what you are. I'm an expert in this. You are also an expert in business development. We are focusing on this industry, for example, e-commerce. Let's go through the process of identifying who we should target in an e-commerce brand. Once we identify that, what do they care about? Okay. Once that target audience or that persona, and we know what they care about, what are the symptoms of the problems that they experience? So that then you can ask the AI then to tailor those uh, responses and give you email ideas and content creation ideas, copy ideas. It really, and when I say that ideas, I really do mean ideas. I don't think I have ever directly copied and pasted anything from AI yet in terms of email uh, outreach methods or anything like that, or for directly from an AI to a landing page with the intention of driving that funnel in. But I have been able to generate a lot of template templates that work and just brainstorm. And I think that's where a lot of people aren't utilizing AIs. They want the, the short, they want the shortened process and it to be AI like perfect, but you really have to adapt the AI with those prompts to understand, to get what you actually need. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And what about for tar- like for finding leads? How does that process work? Yeah, it can be automated in the sense of like connecting a database like Apollo. So typically, if you wanted to find a thousand prospects to reach out to that are in that match what you're doing, everything, say they have a certain amount of employees, they make this much money each year, they've received XYZ funding, all this information, you'd start with a, a database, you would go in there, put in those filters and then be able to look at thousands of businesses. That process can be automated in terms of course, saving those searches and implementing it through an automation platform like Zapier. But really, I think the most beneficial when it comes to the actual prospecting process would be to shorten the email verification time. So I find all of these people, these targets, prospects that I want to go after I then need to verify that the contact information that I'm able to find is valid so that I don't risk my spam on my email domain. So to be able to create a quick automation to verify that the emails are legitimate through different softwares has been very helpful. So just how can we shorten the time so that it takes for me to find out the information is correct and valid? And then how can I use it, the AI, to generate ideas on how to contact those people in a more personable way. 
And do you have any tools that you'd recommend for contact validation? Uh, yeah, Novio has been great. It also is a great email warmer. So being able to connect the database like Apollo, there's tons of them, to uh, like through Zapier to Novio, just creating that, which is really all we do is I create a list in Apollo, download it, and then upload it to Novio. And, and it goes through it automatically, but it just takes that extra process out. I'm now just, I'm now focusing on who I'm actually contacting. It's not, oh, let me go through all these people to find out who the best one is. I'm able to do that faster because I've been able to automate that process. You do, Yes. And does Apollo work for email and phone number? Do you, is that, are those the main two yep. sources of data you're capturing? Or is there another way that you're using to capture data to reach out to people? Or another kind, are you capturing any other kinds of data? Yeah, mainly email, phone number, obviously the website and like who they are. They have their LinkedIn profile connected. And then both Apollo and a lot of the databases have extensions. And so, so does Snowbio. It does have a database. It's just Apollo has been around longer, so it's larger. So at least in my experience, you're able to use these extensions. So for, for example, say I find a business that isn't in the database yet, I'm able to click an extension and it do it does a web scraping on that side. So it can tell me who the contacts are, if there's any contacts, what their business, like what their title is, what their cell phone number is, what their email address is, all the information that I can find off the website and their LinkedIn profile. So really gotcha. scraping as much as possible. And then I can also scrape like the data that's on the website. So, oh, do they have ads set up? Do they have the Facebook pixel set up? These things would indicate that they've done some type of advertising or say Google Analytics. Some businesses don't. And if you have Google Analytics set up on your website, at least know that you're monitoring your social media versus in your digital marketing and overall. Whereas somebody who doesn't have that set up maybe isn't as uh, mindful about social media and digital marketing. And is there a tool you use to scrape that data in particular about uh, if they have yeah. Google tags? Yes, it's called a Wapalizer. Wapalizer? W-A-P-D-lizer. <laughs> Wapalizer. Oh, wow. Okay. And how does the actual scraping mechanism work? Is Are you using, so are you connecting these tools through Zapier that work in conjunction? How do they connect? Yeah, right now they're not connected because it's just an extension. So it's just scraping the website. You can extract that data and then put it into some type of data storage, Google Sheets, Airtable, what have you, and then implement zaps behind that and automations that would then filter it. Say you wanted to collect the data for an audit, and then you wanted to put it into a GPT, a custom GPT that you've built. An example of this would be digital marketing audit. So I've gone through, I've looked up what your information is. I've looked up what going on your website, at least on the technical side, to get as much information and say that I want to, we've had a conversation and I want to dive a little bit deeper with Google Analytics and get a little bit more information from you with your consent. And I wanted to use an AI to audit that information for me, just to speed that up. We would go through an automation through Zapier to clean that um, information so that none of the personal info is still there. And then we would then apply it once it's clean. There's nothing that can be identified back to the business. We would then input that into a GPT that is trained to analyze Google Analytics data. 
and tell you what steps you need to take for your digital marketing, at least from what we can tell through that data. And then you can connect more of those custom GPTs together to produce an AI audit or an entire deck or a sales presentation proposal. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can really go through all the stages. You can do all the stages, but I think the key missing piece is all of the automation and AI tools working together on their mm-hmm. own. Yeah. Is there and an it, offering like that? Yes, I think we're getting there. So at least from what I've pieced together, GPT, ChatGPT has just added where you can connect all of these tools together. And then you can use make.com, which would be very similar to Zapier, to use the connect the APIs of the software that you're interested in using. For example, that Wappalizer, I have no idea if they have access to, you have access to an API, I'm sure you have to pay for it if you did want it, but say you wanted that, I could take that app and connect it through make.com to then connect to an AI. And I know that's a little bit complicated, but basically it does all connect. You're just going to need to have access to the, the software of the tools you're using and make that connection. So we're, we're definitely close. I'm sure that some people have made it work already. I think it's coming to the point where people like you and I who don't have super technical backgrounds can go through and say, hey, I want this. If this happens, I want that to happen. And I want it to trigger this AI to do these tasks. Hmm. And that'll just speed everything up. But the key here is that we're not losing the salesmanship and when I say that in terms of ethically, like actually bringing someone value and helping them walk through the stages that does end them being happy and seeing something from it, that can't be lost. And I, I know a lot of people, especially like with all of the layoffs that have happened over the past couple of years, that's something that's very concerning, especially when you hear about AI sales agents. People in terms of responding to an AI sales agent. I don't think we've adapted there yet. I don't think it's a positive response. And you tell me, Alex, if you are, you pick up the phone and you're having a conversation with somebody and you then realize that it's a robot immediately, it doesn't matter how yeah. much value that robot's bringing you, it's completely gone, right? So it's like that. So it's how do we use these tools ethically to speed up the process to bring as much value to the prospect and hopefully potential client as possible. And they, they have to do... They have to have some another AI talking in the background when the AI is calling you, so it seems like a call center. Yeah. You're like, hey, hey. <laughs> and that, that'd be pretty convincing. I, yeah. I think the AIs will find a way to oh. uh, convince us that they're real. <laughs> that time is definitely coming. It, I would say within the next year or two, it will be very difficult to distinguish what AI is. And uh, have you seen any of the uh, fakes on social media yet? Yeah, they're the really fakes. convincing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even recognize all of them anymore. I'm, at first, it was very obvious, but it seems like the algorithm's improved. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious how the platforms are going to respond. I would not recommend anyone leaning their entire social media strategy on AI engagement, at least in terms of avatar engagement, just yet. Just like I would never recommend somebody just copying directly from an AI into an email campaign. Some situations it might work, but in, in most, it, you need, it's still, you need that human aspect. And I don't think that's going away anytime soon. 
but you're right to the point where you can have these deep fake AI accounts, but on the positive side, now people who have no desire to have a public influence presence are able to create content and present in ways that might register to their audience better. And again, it needs to be done ethically. There's a lot that needs to be monitored and you're going to have a lot of self-regulation and Mm -hmm. making sure that you're going back through and seeing what you've done and making sure that reflecting on what you've done and making sure that you aren't crossing that line because I think that line is going to get a little blurrier as all of this progresses. Yeah, definitely. Do do you think that right now is a good time to start an AI-based business because the regulation hasn't quite caught up and it's likely that it'll be limited in the future? I think that definitely an AI-based business, for sure, it would just be, do you have the resources and or the know-how to implement your services outside of an AI avatar being your lead? And so it's not that, hey, you shouldn't have an AI-based business because it's obviously it's going to be here to stay, just like cryptocurrency is here to stay. And we've been talking about cryptocurrency for 10 years regardless if everyone's opinion is <laughs> either they love it or they hate it, but it, it's here and it hasn't, it's going to continue to be here. So I would say just be smart and don't back yourself into a corner with being too dependent on AI. As I mentioned, like performing an audit is great. If I can create an AI chain of systems that can do that process, like we mentioned before, cool. But I also need to be able to do it myself. I need to be able to take that data and information and say, okay, this is why you should do this and make my recommendation and explain the value and really sell that product home without needing a utilizing AI. So it should be a tool, but it should not be the end all be all to business. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because like, like AI that. automation is, is a great business to start obviously it's very similar to like social media managing or social media agencies in the early 2000s so it's really exciting right now and it's going to probably be exciting for the next couple of years but at some point it's just like right now with social media i I, most people understand how social media works at least on some level so it's not as exciting for you to come in and be say oh i'm a social media manager i can get your content to xyz likes because i've heard that now for seven, eight years, right? Yeah. So that, that's really what it's going to be is everyone's going to get used to hearing it and saying, okay, what does it actually mean? How are you doing it? Now normal people understand how AI works. Normal people now understand how social media works. And now I can determine if you're actually legitimate or not. And that's what we're also going to see. So the people who do it ethically and utilize those tools and have the backup systems to ensure that they're not dependent 100% on AI will probably be able to navigate the shift that's happening better and more efficiently. Okay. What do you, let's, there's a couple directions I could go. What do you see as the technology coming after AI? The technology coming after AI? Yeah, what's the next big technology that you think will develop or become more broadly useful? I would say anything that adapts to the general audience. So 
similar to book. Not to always bring it back to social media, but I guess the trend is nice. Facebook wasn't the first social media platform. <laughs> People were using MySpace and things like that. There was just this disconnect where the adaptation hadn't happened, right? There was the shift. Everyone was coming from the 90s of, hey, this is brand new. Nobody knows what's going on to MySpace into other platforms that were very specific to like careers and specific interests. And then the one unifier was Facebook, where it could come in and everybody come in and now you have all these groups and whatnot. So I don't think it will be a platform, but it will be allowing AI to be more accessible, even though it is fairly accessible. It's also the education behind AI because everybody using it now may not be tech savvy, but I would say it's probably fair to say that they would be able to explain what the blockchain is, right? Maybe not all of them, but if some, I would say a lot. If I'm going to have a conversation about AI, I assume you're also going to be able to explain, oh, hey, this is how the metaverse works or blockchains and, and how those connect, just because that means that you've been aware. There are a lot of people that have no idea what ChatGPT is still, right? Yeah. So it's how do we bring this information to them? in a way that isn't as aggressive as say what happened with NFTs. NFTs are great. And I think most people who are in kind of the tech space understand that a non-fungible token is a way to track information. And yes, people, it, it exploded during the pandemic and everyone didn't understand, a lot of people didn't understand <laughs> A lot of it and pushed away. There was a lot of rejection because of how I believe it was marketed and brought to the public. And there was a lot of scamming and it would just happen too quickly. So we need to be very careful that doesn't happen with AI in the sense that it's moving too quickly. People who aren't in this world aren't able to adapt and then they put up walls when it's brought to them because we're still breaking down those barriers when it comes to cryptocurrency and whatnot. So how do we, how does AI infiltrate the public, the general audience with, in a way that isn't terrifying to them and actually brings value to them and uh, isn't too technical and too much, again, similar to maybe the iPhone when flip phones were a thing. That, I was in wireless for a very long time and I can tell you there were people who would drag their heels in when in trying to get a smartphone, right? Like they wanted their flip phone, they would, they would, until their face was blue. No, I'm not switching to a, a smartphone. Obviously they had to. <laughs> time caught up to them. They, it, it, their phone was so outdated that it wasn't working because everything had adapted to these smartphones. It's the same thing will have to happen. So I don't know what it will look like to answer your question, but it will be whatever can connect with the general audience and bridge that gap in the technology realm in a comfortable, relatable way for them. You're talking about accessibility, making a technology accessible to the vast majority of people, bringing it to market. Bring it to market, but in a very mindful way of how you are approaching that market. A lot of people can bring to market an idea and it go completely over people's head, even though it's amazing. And it might just be too advanced for the time, which would be similar to the cryptocurrency NFTs things. It was just too, too advanced. It was cool, but too advanced. Everyone was too against it. So how do we bring it to market in a way that people don't shut down immediately? Because this is 
tech is a pretty cutting edge technology that we're talking about. Like AI, it's been around. You and I obviously have a podcast about it. So you're pretty familiar with AI and all everything that it kind of entails, right? But that would be very intimidating to somebody who isn't interested in it. But we know that it can bring value. And I think that relating it back to sales, that's one of the frustrating parts is when you know that you can help somebody and it's not a money issue. It's just a, they, and you keep showing the value, you keep showing the value, but they just are so afraid of that change. And then walking, trying to ease them into it at a pace that obviously works for them and is respectful for them, but it's obviously appeasing your sales manager <laughs> too. So I think same thing is how do we bring this new technology to people in a way that they can understand, they're not intimidated, they don't feel stupid, or that's too much, which is exactly what I heard back in wireless with the smartphones, is that's too much, I can't do that. Obviously, we knew they could, because now look, 70, 80-year-olds use iPhones, and it's probably easier in some aspect. So that, like that, does that answer your question? Yes, I'm trying to just think about how do I connect this to what I want to do, and and I, I think that the good thing is that AI is not yet well integrated into the mass market because look at even Siri on the iPhone, I would argue is some of the most available AI that there is. And it's not really that good. Even you would expect the technology to be able to understand a little bit more context it's getting better you can tell some of the notifications are like they're they are improving but we're it's definitely the publicly available mass mainstream available ai is not quite as plugged into our lives as it could be and a lot of it is because it's so new and then you're right people like us see all the capabilities and we're like, how is this not built into everything yet? And it's, it's, they're working on it. And everybody's right now in, in a very intense competition to, to bring the best version of every integration to market. So there really is no telling yet where the competition is because the market hasn't had access to enough varieties of everything. There's a very small amount of options for every integration that could potentially hit the mass market. So I think in general, there and, and I'm curious if you agree, this is a good time to compete for an AI business because the public has not decided yet what they're gonna adopt in on a mass basis. For instance, this would be a bad time to start Twitter, but it's a good time to buy Twitter. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's mm -hmm. already on a few platforms. Once people are bought and sold and decided on certain platforms or technologies, it's easier to just buy one and to get into the market than to start one. But in 2005, you should start one social media. And so this is 2005 for AI. Yep. Yep. We're, it's all Mark Zuckerberg's and Tom from MySpace sitting down in rooms trying to figure out which ones are going to be and yes I absolutely agree and yes it would be which one can create that pathway of 
educating, simplifying, and then bringing whatever that value is in a very precise package. And that's what's going to be the big difference. There's going to be tons of AI that's out there that's great and can change the world, but it will not matter unless they also focus a lot of time and attention on that to market, go to market strategy of how, and it's going to have to be very specific and very personalized to each type of person, obviously, depending on the service and value there. Right. So yeah, it's, but it's going to be like, that's, what's going to make it when whoever can get it into the hands of the mass market in the most efficient and, and valuable ways possible. That's really, and it's going to be a lot of trial and error. Unfortunately, a lot of businesses are going to have great products. They're going to go to market. They're going to think that they figured it out and they're not. And we're just going to have to all learn from one another on how to approach this new technology and how we do integrate it into our businesses, our lives, what, who's more likely to adapt. And and we don't know anything. We don't know how right? We have all the information over the past 20 years. And I think that's what people don't acknowledge and take a step back when we get so excited about AI. To your point, people like you and I, we get very excited. We see this and we're like, how is this not in everything? Let's take a step back because 20 years ago, cell phones (laughs) were like barely working, (laughs) right? Like hardly. You would be lucky if like you could have a phone call last you more than an hour like the towers weren't accessible like most people couldn't have a lot of people couldn't have cell phones or even internet connection 20 years ago oh yeah it, it's going to be a similar i think we should look back and see how people adapted then and whoever figures out and pays attention that's going to be the biggest one who's paying attention to all of those metrics that matter in terms of going to market and how they can connect with everybody because that's going to be the winner. And it might not even be the best AI. That's what's going to be interesting. There will probably be better AI out there, but it's going to be the one who gets into the pockets financially and on the cell phone (laughs) mobily of how do we implement this in an effective way. Very interesting. And yeah, it's really making me think about the AI business I want to build. We talked about it on our Mm -hmm. previous call. I don't want to just talk about it on every episode. And I really like where this is going. So maybe at the end, if I, if I run out of questions, I'll, I'll ask you some questions about it. But for now, I'm curious what you think about the future of how we will interact with the internet. That's like Web3 and where things are going. How, what do you think as you look, as you imagine into the future, how do you think how it will, our interaction with the internet will change? That's it can go a lot of ways, obviously. I think what a lot of people aren't considering when talking about this is the dopamine detoxing that a lot of humans are intentionally doing from social media devices. I don't think we're going to ever go back to archaic (laughs) times of uh, nothing in the home, but I do know a lot of people who are intentionally trying to limit their experience time. So I would say that it's going to be when they are engaged online, they're going to want the best experience possible. And I think that's what 
we're going to see in the early 2000s, everyone was just excited to see blog posts, right? You could just get this information. But now everybody has been on and writes their opinions and blogs. And now we have AI writing blogs who, and hopefully they're being checked by humans, but half the time they're not. So there's just this plethora of information out there now. And humans have now said, you know what? I know a lot of this is fake. I know that a lot of it is just fluff. I know that all of it is designed to put me into a sales funnel. How do I navigate online, which is a resource we all know we need. We're all used to being able to answer questions rather quickly, but how does that factor in? Of like, Yes, we want to be online, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be quality over quantity where right now it's very much like just get as much content out as you can, get as much blog post out as you can, like as much ads out as you can. And yes, of course, advertising and marketing is sales is a, mar- a numbers game, but at the same time, I really think it's going to be quality. And we're seeing that with TikTok and Instagram, right? Like the people who make the quality videos who are sitting there and investing in the cameras and investing in the acting courses and all of that are the ones who are seeing success easily on, or like more easily, easier on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Okay. Yeah, quality over quantity. I think that's definitely the trend, especially as we see companies offer packages for media that is without ads and with ads and this sort of freemium model. I think it, I think that's really interesting that we want everything to be more saturated with value instead of mixed. That's interesting. I think you're right. Because if you compare, if you look at, you're talking about like Web3 and metaverses, do you have any experience in like Decentraland? I've heard of it, but no, yeah. I have not used it. Yeah, I popped it a couple times and it's actually great for networking. There's a couple networking opportunities in there, just meetings. But in terms of how it operates, is it cool? Absolutely. Do I think most people are going to want to access Decentraland? Probably not. Roblox, I would be more in tune. Obviously, that's a little younger (laughs) than my generation, but that is a metaverse that has taken off and has infiltrated the younger generation. So I just don't think it's there yet. Like Decentraland is cool, but it's very like sim-like. And it's, I don't think it has that wow factor. And again, back to the accessibility, I just don't think a lot of people have the devices that are required to create, the, to enter the quality space that it will take to actually move that needle forward. Because um, like you said, it, it's going to take, people are wanting to see as much quality as possible, where if you know that the quality is in the metaverse and that value has to outweigh whatever you're getting at your current, in your current Web2 world. And it's just not there yet. Why would a normal person who isn't a gamer, who doesn't care about Roblox or any of that stuff, okay, outside of the, oh, wow, we're excited. Why would you enter these spaces? Yes, the Facebook headset's very cool. And they have brought the price down just over the past couple of years. It's even become more accessible. But it's still very unknown. I think a lot of people still have a lot of, like, guards. So... I think just again, relating it back to approach it like Y2K to <laughs> that, like in the 2000s, everyone was terrified of what was going to happen with all of this new technology and the people and the companies that 
kind of held the that their hand and made it so that it was not as scary to enter this next phase of web3 metaverses ai were the ones that succeeded and i think we both agreed that was apple unfortunately even though i'm not a big fan of apple <laughs> everybody all my friends watching this are going to message me and call me a hypocrite but i would say that apple with their computers did a great job at showing hey this is a home computer this is how you use it and can actually change so yeah, it, it'll be the person who can show that quality and sh show it in a way that it, it fear of missing out. And I don't think that fear of missing out is there yet for most people. Oh, I love well, it. They're not missing out. It's cool. And even people who I've, I try not to be the person who talks about crypto and metaverses at a party, but I do try to it's explain it to people because I do think they need to know if they're open to that conversation. And yeah, it, it's, they're like, yeah, it's cool. I get it and it's cool, but why do I care? And I'm like, you're right, you wouldn't care. I shouldn't even, <laughs> in terms of like how it implements my life, I shouldn't really necessarily care. I just know I will care. And the people who adapt sooner and wrap their minds around how this can change things sooner are going to be the ones hopefully in the driver's seat. And my intention is to be in the driver's seat, helping everybody else who didn't adapt make that change. Yeah. Oh, the transition is going to be rough because this, the, the, yeah, the, yes. And the technology of AI is one of compression. Like you can now compress two or th two or three people's productivity into one person with an AI assistant. Well, what do those two people do then? And that's going to be quite a, an adjustment and it's not even really going to be fair because those two people are probably good at their job or it's not really because they're not good at their job. It's just because they're not the best, which there's only going to be a limited number of people at, that are, that are the best performers who are going to get that increased bandwidth. And you have to consider that, the best is very is relative to the situation and time, especially in sales, i.e. I've been the best for quarter four, but my quarter one, I might not be the best. And somebody who was behind then has a great quarter one and pushed the team over and made it so that the sales team hit their numbers. What is the best is going to be, we're going to have to explore that and say, okay, do we want just the best or do we want consistency and people who try? And then you're right, pairing it with AI, what does that look like? Yeah, I think the one good part about it, so it's, I don't think it's like actually two people lose their jobs because the economy also grows with technological innovation. So the quality of services for, for the cost increases and the value increases if our technology improves. And so as the economy gets bigger, the company can have more people. Like they would want not one person replacing three, but three people now operating with the value of nine people. That's fine too for the business. A lot of businesses want that too. Increased productivity is a good thing. It doesn't necessarily mean replacing people in order to cut costs. They do still want to have that value, but also... We are facing 
a potential population collapse. I think it depends how well we do in the next few years. So I think that having AI to replace people can be actually necessary in certain industries if there isn't enough of a replacement of workers. So I think that the forces will almost balance each other out. And I'm curious how we'll actually end up because it could end up just positively benefiting the economy and businesses just get bigger and they just get more effective with AI. And I feel like that's at least equally likely just guessing. Yeah, no, everything you're saying is definitely that possible and valid in terms of coming to fruition. I would just say how painful is the adapt that swing? Because yes, it very well could end up where it is beneficial, but the growing pains, how that's going to be the question is how painful, because it's, we're talking about AI and efficiency, but as we're all doing this to be connected as a human race, we can't take that part out of it. And you're right. Hopefully these people don't lose their jobs and the business can grow, but I think it will take a lot of people, unfortunately, to lose their jobs during that how because we a lot there's still so much unknown and what is the most efficient and what is the most ethical way to implement these advances so yeah i think it, it definitely is possible i think it will be a, it, will, it will require people being very intentional to not cross that line and ensure that that everybody is still having the opportunity to do the their best in their positions and not lead to what i think everybody is very afraid of this huge AI swarms controlling all of these businesses because I don't think that will happen either. I don't think, I don't think that's a, uh, I don't think that's me. It can be maintained. Like having every, AI is going to mess up. It's only as good as the information. And regardless of the business that you're in, you need that human. You need to be able to understand what people means. And yes, what people mean. And AI is pretty good with like syntax and, and things like that, but we need to, make sure that whatever we're doing does it does grow the economy and then how, how painful will that growth spurt be and can we make it can we intentionally make that growth spurt not as painful that would be great because we do live in a world where we can i feel like we would be able to hopefully come together and figure out where those pain points are going to be yes there is going to be growing pains some things you can't <laughs> you know make better but Let's try to uh, bring it to market in a way that takes that at least into consideration. Where, and I think in a lot of advancements, it just wasn't just thinking like oil <laughs> back in coal mine, oil rig, that type of situation where all of this new technology came in and it did unfortunately wipe out a lot of jobs. But the generation after that was able to balance things out, at least hopefully. So how long is that process going to take? Who is going to be impacted the most here? How can we provide training and resources to make it so that they're able to utilize this technology and advancement in a way that benefits them and their family? Yes, and, and it has me thinking, what is that bridge or what are the bridge businesses that people are going to build that help people who have been replaced? What I, I think of as Uber. If you were in a tough spot, you might pick up driving Uber because it's an easy thing to do that's reliable that if you've if, even if you've been laid off you can still do it and 
make ends meet. And as AI starts to replace jobs, there will be a growing need for people to have some kind of a an employment that is part-time, on their own terms, something they can reliably do. And it would be surprising if that didn't have to do with AI. If we're at the point where AI is replacing all these jobs, I'm sure it's an AI-related thing. And it makes me think about how CAPTCHAs work, that we're really working for Google when we do those CAPTCHAs. And it seems like we're doing it because they need to, it's, it doesn't even seem like we're doing it for us at all. We, we know we're doing it to help them with determining bot traffic, but then they're using that to train their models, which is funny, I think. So maybe it's something like that, where the AI needs human interference to validate certain things. And that, that could be their job at home and, is, and it's just an app on their phone and they're just tapping away. And then they could be paid for that. And it could be very simple AI decisions that it asks them and it uses that as maybe a form of validation or something. Or maybe it pits people against each other and makes sure that if three people from totally different areas have the same answer, it's a better valid validation point. Hi, my name is Alex. You might be familiar with me. I run a website called asafranis.com where I sell business services and consumer products that I've been able to produce in my short time on this earth. And I want to share with you that I have sales going on all the time for different products. And these are very high quality products. Uh, for instance, the Tastes of Greece is all single origin and organic Greek food that's imported and uh, vetted by yours truly to ensure it is uh, of the highest quality. Uh, and then, of course, my business services come from a decade in the business world in marketing and are specifically structured around bringing uh, value to your business through the levers of marketing. So there is a lot of different offerings. There's even offerings for um, podcast sponsorships for uh, my podcasts um, and also uh, my book about how to find a job in the 2020s using LinkedIn and all the latest tips. So check out asafranis.com and I think that you'll find something that you love. Thank you. And I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't already exist. It's just accessibility. And, and you're right, like that, what you're describing right there might be that bridge that's needed and can be the spearhead of how do we bring this technology to people? And it might be in a way that is solving the problem that AI advancements unintentionally cause because that's just part of growing with technology. And that you're right, and that could be it. And if you could do that in a way that solves and is presented in that nice package, like we mentioned before, that could, yeah, that could be the pathway. That could be the effective pathway that actually moves the needle and gets people to say, oh, We'll see. We'll just have to see. That's really, and it's going to take people like you who are having these conversations with what does this look like? How is this being implemented? Who, what, where, why? So over and over again, who, what, where, why? Over, why, over and over again to really find the answer because we're not going to know for a very long time. And if nobody's watching and no one's monitoring, then we really, we backed ourselves into a corner. It's good that these conversations are, are being had on just our kind of level of what's going on. Let's just figure out what's happening. And then on more of the technical side and more educated side of Cambridge and Harvard having, I know they just 
had some conferences and keynote speakers on the topic because it is going to be, it's going to be, and I think people are almost sick of hearing AI where I've actually partnered and I'm helping develop a sales funnel for a developer and the personas that I have to, I just have to be very careful with who I'm talking to and how technical and AI, the word AI can excite some people. It's scary to others. Same thing with automation. So it's really interesting to see what type of people, I don't want to group people into groups, but what type of people are more open to adapting, which ones think it's, think it's cool, but aren't going to adapt for whatever reason. What are those reasons? And we're at a really cool time. It's a really great time. If you have your eyes open and your head on a swivel, you'll be able to figure it out and definitely get in there. Yeah, no, that, and I think that's a great note to end on, but I definitely want to do a follow-up at some point because this is such a interesting area and you have such great ideas about it. And I feel like you have a very crisp vision of the industry as it is and where it's going. I think that's very valuable. So thank you for sharing with us. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. And yes, we'd love to talk again. Always open. We can definitely rendezvous and see what's going to happen because it is going to take these relationships of to determine and define how the future of the internet is implemented. So it's exciting. Yes. Okay. I look forward to it. Excellent. Thank you, Shannon. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.